Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome to the Nature Jobs podcast. I'm Julie Gould. Let's go back in time, more than a thousand years, to 11th century Europe, when they first started building universities, home to the elite and knowledgeable, a space for learning and discovery, for study and understanding, for scholarship and nothing else. Its walls were closed, but they housed some of the most intelligent brains in the world and saw some extraordinary things. But one thing was for sure, that not much thought was given to collaborating with technology and industry. This changed in 1945 with a report called Science, The Endless Frontier, where Vannevar Bush emphasised to the then US President Franklin D. Roosevelt the importance of basic research to a strong economy. This, combined with an increase in the amount of government money spent on scientific research during the Cold War, demonstrated to them how industry, government and universities could work together towards a common goal. Since then, technology transfer officers have played a major role in breaking down the barriers between industry and academia. And this relationship is still blossoming, irrespective of what you might hear about dark sides. Companies are now taking the plunge and they're moving in. They are on campus. Jana Watson-Caps and Thomas Ketch, both of whom work for the BioFrontiers Institute, a company based at the campus of the University of Colorado in Boulder, have co-written an article as part of this week's Nature University special, all about companies on campus. And so I caught up with Jana Watson-Caps, the Associate Director of the BioFrontiers Institute, to find out more. Students are looking for more value towards their degree, and faculty are looking for better ways to translate their work and make a real difference in society. And as companies are looking for ways to train their workforce to exactly what they need, having companies on campus is going to be more natural in the future, and that for some people and, and some universities, this, this can work. There are pockets of people uh, on university campuses right now that are really interested in what university has to offer and university vice versa is interested in students, access to facilities, being able to rent out small pieces of prefabricated lab space. Uh, You know, there are things that are appealing to both sides. So I think that there are ways where they can view each other from a real place of partnership rather than one trying to take advantage of, of the other. But to make partnerships like this work, academia and industry should get together and minimise any conflict of interest or any cultural and working differences that they might have. 
But the best partnerships are based and founded on similarities. And although you might not think it, there are quite a few that exist between academia and industry. The stereotype is that if you go into a company, you might not publish and you will be isolated to only researchers within your company and not have an influx of new ideas or be able to take projects in a new or unexpected direction. But I don't think that that's necessarily true. I think by interacting more with industry, you can get a feel for how they actually do work and that several of them interact with academics or other companies uh, and do collaborative research. They do publish their results and they do take advantage of new unexpected results to start a new product or, or explore something new and that the scientists that are employed at the company get to have those exciting experiences that they might not have anticipated at first. And even though exciting opportunities are what every student looks for, there are plenty more benefits to having companies on campus. You have a window into what working in industry looks like. I think that that can open students' eyes earlier to the fact that they're interested in this type of work, which can help them plan their graduate and postgraduate work. They know ahead of time that they're interested. They could do perhaps an internship or find ways to interact with companies and gain that experience early. So I think the earlier you have a window into this world, you could make the decision that, hey, this might be something that's right for me. Another thing that I think really does help students is it expands their network. When you graduate as a student, you only know academics typically. And by having a coffee shop shared by several companies on campus, you can run into by having them give seminars or teaching in classes or dropping in on other educational activities. These students can know people in industry before they graduate. That helps them with their professional network um, as they're looking for jobs both in academia and in industry. Many students now know that they don't want to stay in academia forever, but trying to get an internship or a short break from a PhD to experience the industrial working world seems impossible. Bring the company on campus and it might not be a problem. But do take the time to speak to your PhD supervisors and your advisors about all the things that need to be organised as early as possible. And even if working in industry doesn't appeal to you in any way, shape or form, there are still benefits to working with those who are in industry. We see a lot of faculty are driven by the idea of helping people uh, with their research and whether that's a, a patient with a new biomedical discovery or biofuels that can help with the environment. Working with industry provides a venue for translating your basic research into something useful. And even if you don't do that translational piece yourself, by having industry nearby and having a model of interaction that you can see and is very easy for you to emulate, then that might be something that adds to your job satisfaction and can inform what you do later on, even if you do stay in academia. Whatever your reasons for working in academia, whether it's that you want to become a professor or you're looking to develop your research skills before you go, taking the opportunity to collaborate with industry is one that shouldn't be sneered at. Having a look at what the other half does can only bring you more skills, more knowledge and a deeper understanding of the relationships between academia and industry. Thanks to Jana Capson-Watts for speaking to us universities still focus on teaching and research. So here's a package produced by Jeff Marsh for the Nature podcast this week on the drive towards cross-disciplinary research in higher education. Ah, academia. A place to burrow ever deeper into the one question that bugs you most. Like what is the exact structure of this specific hormone of that particular gland in my favourite species of aphid. But more and more researchers, rather than just digging deeper, are trying to burrow sideways. Interdisciplinary research is becoming trendy. 
Researchers recognize that to answer some of the bigger questions facing the planet, narrowness has problems, and that a healthy cross-fertilization of ideas between fields could seed the bigger answers. But what really drives them and how can we measure their success? Nature tackles this question in its university special this week. Obviously, every researcher is looking for innovative things to do and looking in the border space between subjects that haven't collaborated in the past is a pretty obvious way of potentially discovering new things. That's Colin Blakemore. He's no stranger to the border space between disciplines. He's currently Professor of Neuroscience and Philosophy in the School of Advanced Study at the University of London. I'm a neuroscientist, as you know, and I'm working in a philosophy institute, which is a major interdisciplinary leap. And I have this big grant from the AHRC, which is called Rethinking the Senses, which is specifically asking whether it's possible to put together the philosophy and the neuroscience of perception. Blakemore is one of a growing number of scientists receiving grants for specifically interdisciplinary work. Here's John Fishman, a senior editor at Scientific American, who's written about universities for this week's special issue. Colleges and universities have been making sounds about the value of cross-disciplinary research for 50 years, but within the last 20, it's really picked up some speed and people have started putting some money behind it. From within higher education itself, there is a recognition that to tackle problems like water shortages or the genesis of cancer, you need to bring together teams of people with specialised knowledge. Back to neuroscientist come philosopher Colin. Surely, of all things, the all-complicated brain requires undisturbed focus before she'll give up her mysteries. Focus is a big buzzword. That was the buzzword of 20 years ago. Interdisciplinarity is the buzzword now, and they seem like polar opposites. Focus is really important for technical advance, for expertise, for getting really, really good at doing something. So there are different phases of science. Focus concentration is good when techniques are improving and developing. Interdisciplinarity potentially breaks new boundaries. No one has been merging their disciplines quite like Arizona State University in the US. Josh Fishman explains he profiled ASU in a feature this week. What they've done is they've created a multidisciplinary superstructure. A lot of cross-disciplinary institutes that bring together physical sciences and biological sciences, astronomy and geology, and they've created a bunch of other schools and institutes. This change at Arizona State began about 12 years ago under the vision of President Michael Crow. And it turns out that joining up disciplines was a good financial strategy. They have, over the years, been successful at accruing more funds from outside sources. I think that the funding bodies are more attracted to multidisciplinary research because they've been criticized for years for only financing narrow projects. Incrementalism is the big complaint. And what about the science itself? Has this cross-fertilization led to sparky, creative, high-impact science? One crude measure can be publications. It's sort of the coin of the realm in scientific research. There, Arizona State has ramped up the overall number of its publications. But in terms of publications from Arizona State researchers, 
that make it into the elite journals over the past 10 years, that number really hasn't changed relative to similar institutions. But just looking at publications is a pretty two-dimensional way of going about things. Colin has his own measure of success. The production of kinds of research and ideas that would not have happened without it. I mean, that has to be the criterion for all interdisciplinary research. Why bother to go through the hardship of forging new partnerships and learning new techniques, reading a whole new lot of literature, if all that you generate is things that would have happened anyway? So it's got to do some, you know, produce something that's novel because of the contribution of both sides of the partnership. That's awful. that's asking for an awful lot, actually. And uh, I'm guessing by the look in your eyes that you have an example of some of this successful research in your in your department. Well, the experiment I'm doing at the moment has come directly out of talking to philosophers. It hasn't been done by neuroscientists, even though it could have been done 150 years ago, actually. And it is simply asking the question: What is going on in the brain? when you have a visual experience and you know it's a visual experience as opposed to hearing a sound or a voice or whatever or feeling something touching your skin, these very distinct categories of sensory experience. And it's basically an Aristotelian question. It has to do with the individuation of the senses, as the philosophers talk about it. Why is vision different from hearing? And it's not a trivial question. Where is all this going? In 50 years, will all universities just be big melting pots? Josh Fishman again. I don't think so. Some universities are going to be these kinds of melting pots, and some are going to be more traditional. If you are a graduate student, you might have a choice. There might be kind of an ecosystem of universities that's a more diverse population rather than this monoculture that we have now. And a final thought from Colin. I think that one of the big impediments to successful interdisciplinary collaboration in universities is the commitment to teaching. Unfortunately, teaching is much more conventional and much more traditional than the researchers who are doing the teaching. So that's a paradox, I think, for energetic research-intensive universities to tackle. Their income stream is primarily coming from students locked to, in many cases, rather conservative curricula. Their researchers want to escape out of that and try risky collaborative interactions, which aren't yet reflected in teaching programmes. Neuroscientist and philosopher's friend Colin Blakemore there, and before him, Siam's Josh Fishman. That was Jeff Marsh speaking to Colin Blakemore from the Centre for the Study of the Senses, University of London, and Josh Fishman, a senior editor at Scientific American. So that's it for this week's Nature Job podcast. If you want to know more about Nature Jobs, you know where to look. It's blogs.nature.com forward slash Nature Jobs. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Nature Jobs. Thanks for listening. I'm Julie Gould. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps to early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.